I'm Cody Royal, and this is the Where Others Won't podcast. This episode is a one-on-one discussion about the future of leadership and features Mark Metry, founder of the virtual reality marketing agency, VU Dream, and host of the top 100 podcast, Humans 2.0. This episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens, who have a special offer for you later in the show. But for now, enjoy the conversation. Mark Metry, welcome to the show. Cody, dude, thank you so much for having me. No, I'm super stoked to have you here. We're going to break all the rules today. I, I've never done an origin story, a life story podcast. I, I've kind of proudly held myself up and, and gone in a different direction for this show. But for you, we're going to break all those rules. I want to talk about your story, man, because you are an incredible human being. You're extraordinarily interesting. And uh, I want more people to, to check you out and, and learn about you. So we're going to dive into to your background and uh, and, uh, and go where others won't. Dude, I'm so ready for that. And, you know, as I'm just like telling my story more and more, you know, whether it's on, um, Forbes or going on different podcasts, I'm, I'm like just trying to understand, you know, what could I say in my story that, you know, is accurate, is truthful, of course, but is also going to, stand out and maybe be a little bit different to kind of hit the perspective of somebody that is not, um, you know, necessarily, um, you know, totally in line or hasn't, you know, mm-hmm. gotten a significant piece out of hearing somebody else's story. So that's, um, that's really fascinating, man. So, yeah. So, I mean, to begin, um, you know, I was born in 1997 in, in Boston on the East coast of the United States. Um, my parents ended up immigrating to America just a year before I was born from Egypt. And, you know, they, they won the green card lottery and they came over, my mom, my dad, my sister from Egypt, and they came to the U.S. to, um, you know, really give my sister and I better opportunities because, you know, they moved to America. They didn't even know the language. They didn't, they didn't really know anybody they came with like $200 in their pocket. So it was just like a very, you know, powerful um, action that they took to um, give my sister and me, somebody they didn't even know yet because I wasn't born, better opportunity. And so, you know, as I grew up, um, you know, I had a fantastic childhood. Like when I look back, I just had like amazing memories of, you know, my sister and I and my parents, like just having fun all the time. Like I had great neighbors that, you know, taught me things. And that's where I really started to, um, you know, sort of like learn about the culture. And um, I think that's one of the reasons, uh, you know, why I'm kind, just because, you know, when we came to America, everybody helped us. Like um, we were on a lot of different kinds of, you know, subsidized housing and food. And, you know, one of the things that I remember is, um, you know, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, um, you know, we would open the door and there would be a box of food. And when I was a kid, I didn't really understand that. But, you know, looking back at that now, you know, that was like the local church or, um, you know, the, the county donating food to us because 
you know, that's what they did for people that couldn't really afford it. And so, you know, when you come from that kind of immigrant background, kind of like, you know, the way that it was, like we were always moving all the time. We, you know, started out living in like a crowded apartment building with other people. And we just, you know, worked our way. My parents really hustled that, um, you know, worked uh, jobs basically all day to, you know, provide for us. And, you know, when you're in that kind of immigrant environment, you know, you, you become really resourceful sort of unconsciously. You become, you know, really crafty. You get, you get used to doing things all of the time. You get used to taking action all the time. And so, you know, for me, kind of like, like the, like the, when I look back at my life, kind of like the shift was, um, you know, in the second grade when I was seven years old, you know, I have memories of, you know, me just finding newspapers on the ground or wherever for free and, you know, going into the sports section and, you know, cutting out different, you know, baseball players and players of other sports and gluing those together with other pieces of paper to kind of make the, you know, illusion of like a trading card. And I would take those and I would sell them to people that, you know, I don't know if they were fooled by it or I don't know what the case was, but, you know, I would just take that, I would sell it, I'd make money, I'd buy, you know, real trading cards. I got really into um, collecting different kinds of like baseball, football, and Pokemon cards. Um, and then I'd sell those too. And, you know, I was just a very crafty kid. And, um, you know, for me, like kind of like the next sort of, uh, you know, monumental shift for me was um, I ended up, you know, my parents, you know, my parents ended up making more and more money. And, you know, we weren't like super um, well off, but, you know, we had become, you know, sustainable. And, you know, we ended up moving into this place um, west of Boston and Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, this place is very rural, moved into a very small town. Um, and I ended up going to the school. And, you know, the community overall was, you know, pretty nice for sure. There were a lot of good people. Um, but, you know, I was basically, you know, the only person. Like, I basically went to an all-white school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only person that was not white. It was maybe me and like, a, you know, a couple other kids, but for the remainder of that, it was, it was all white. And, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm racist or anything like that at all, but, you know, looking back at my life that, you know, really, really impacted me because it sort of gave me the, the feeling, the illusion that I was always sort of like an outsider. I was always different. Whenever I walked into a room, people um, you know, would look at me differently. And, you know, there were a few times where, you know, I had gotten bullied, um, you know, verbally and physically, but it was nothing ever really too serious. Um, and then at the same time, you know, I also, you know, had some health problems. Um, you know, my parents ended up telling me that, um, you know, when, when I was first born um, in 1997, I actually like almost died at my death. Um, and, um, you know, that ended up leading to me having a series of different kind of, uh, autoimmune disorders and symptoms. So, you know, things that honestly, most kids in America have today, like asthma, ADD, uh, stomach problems, anxiety, which combined with that and the school that I went to turned into really severe social anxiety for me. Um, you know, I didn't really have any 
deep, meaningful relationships. I had some friends that I would spend time with, but it was just sort of like people that I would surround myself with. So I wouldn't look like I was a um, loner. Right. And so that was, the, that was the sort of perspective that I had, like from basically third grade all the way until graduating high school. And, you know, sort of my coping mechanism for dealing with my social anxiety was, you know, going on the internet, getting online at a young age. You know, I had worked one job when I was 11 and 12, and I had ended up making enough money through just working uh, through a summer to buy a laptop and a, and a phone. And, you know, once I got those, I just started to go online. I started to learn how to how to code, how to like edit stuff, just how to learn a wide variety of things. Eventually that led me to sort of freelancing those skills on some uh, pretty early internet, like freelancing websites. And um, that ended up transforming into uh, YouTube. I became aware of YouTube and I loved playing video games. And so I actually ended up starting this YouTube channel around me playing video games and at the peak of it, I had like 35,000 subscribers. And this is in like 2000 and um, this is in like 2010, 2011. And so YouTube wasn't really YouTube, like the way that we view YouTube today, where no, you know, there's people on there that have millions of subscribers, people make money on it. It was nothing like that. Like, I remember I would tell people um, like around me in my real life about it. And they would be like, wait, you post videos of yourself on the internet it was just like such a such a strange thing right um and so that really ended up transforming to me discovering a game called minecraft and you know at the age of 15 i ended up you know trying to play minecraft with one of my friends and um you know we had joined a bunch of multiplayer servers which is just where you know you can kind of like hop on this uh, game mode with your friend and you can play with other people online around the world and i realized you know real quick within joining that multiplayer server that it sucked that it wasn't really that much fun it, it was laggy so you know literally the next day i just ended up googling how to start my own server and to keep a long story short um when i started my server it was about eight months in and it actually became the world's biggest number one Minecraft server on the planet and which in turn ended up, you know, sort of just like blossoming into this massive thing that kind of became its own uh, system that just took on a life of its own there. You know, we had like over 10 million people visit our website. We had like a hundred thousand registered users you know, we were making some serious money and this was at the age of 15 for me. And I was coming from, you know, a background where I didn't really have, um, you know, any kind of money. And so um, I didn't realize it then, but I realize it now is that when I actually started to make that money, when I actually started to, you know, make like a six figure income at the age of 15, um, you know, it actually created like some cognitive dissonance in my brain because the previous operating system that I was running on was like, okay, Mark, you know, you're, you're like this immigrant, you got to go for the American dream. And it's like, you know, once you make six figures, or once you graduate and go to this college, and then get a, a six figure salary job, you know, then you'll be happy. And I hit that level at a very young age, and I still wasn't happy. I still kind of viewed myself as the same old loser. 
And so that kind of, you know, perpetuated on. And, you know, by the time I was uh, 18, I had gone off to college and, you know, I was just thinking about a lot of different things. And I had, you know, started to think about who I am as a human being. And I realized that the person who I really am, um, you know, was not good enough um, or excuse me, the way that I was acting was not good enough for the person that I actually was on the inside. I didn't really take my health seriously. I never got into, you know, I had never heard the word success or mindset or like belief system uh, up until that age. And so like, I kind of fell down like this dep depressive viral. Um, when I was like 18, I ended up like weighing over 200 pounds, just me trying to escape my consciousness by, um, you know, binge eating, uh, partying, uh, binging Netflix. And, you know, I was just super depressed. I was even like suicidal. I was even more anxious. Like I was just trying to socially isolate myself when I, you know, wasn't partying or doing any of those things. And, you know, that was kind of like the scenario that I had like just a few years ago. And the way that I like began to, to just turn it around was I ended up discovering like health and physiology just through, you know, the very shallow problem and my lack of understanding of everything I'm telling you now. But I just like looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, Mark, dude, you're like 200 pounds. Like, you know, how can I lose this weight? And so I just started researching. I started Googling, like, you know, how do you lose weight? What diet should I follow? How much should I exercise? I started doing all these different things. And eventually, um, you know, I found something that worked for me and I ended up losing the weight. And like, that was sort of like the spark to the powder keg that eventually, you know, led me to like, you know, the Mark Metry that everybody knows me today, running a business, running a podcast, being a speaker, um, and so, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the scenario. I know I went on for a while, but, um, yeah. <laughs> so you told everyone your year of birth, but just to do the sums for them, how old are you right now? I'm 21. 21. You, uh, you're in a generation of, of people that, uh, a lot of society are worried about right now. Hmm. And... Uh, and that's why I find you extraordinarily fascinating, uh, in, in that, you know, in that story that you've just told us, you've gone through all these different things and I want to unpack some of them more specifically with you, mm. but, you know, kind of even thinking your way out of social anxiety and, and going through money problems. You, you were an, you were an NBA draft pick that, you know, that came up from nothing <laughs> and, you know, at 15, they bestowed all this money upon you and, and you didn't know what to do with it. And, and, you know, obviously you had to, to go through and, and deal with that. And then there's the, you know, the self-awareness to uh, get yourself back in shape and, and deal with your health all by the age of 21. And I'm intrigued by you because of that and juxtaposed against the rest of society saying that we should be worried about your generation of people. And I just, I, I don't believe that. Dude. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting question. Like the thing that you just said. So, um, you know, first off, I, and I want to say that, um, you know, honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, when I had stumbled into that when I was 15 years old, like I got really lucky. And mm -hmm. I was just like this kid trying to find friends on the internet and trying to have fun. And like, when I think, when I look back at it now, like, 
I can't even explain to you how many like different kinds of websites, how many businesses that I ended up starting online. Like I want to say over 20 and I don't even remember them, but this was just one of the things that popped. And so like, I was always very like action driven. And I think that did come from my discomfort towards life. I think if I was just an ordinary kid who had a great time, I don't think I would have done any of this stuff, but I really just got lucky. And, you know, in terms of, you know, what you said about, you know, my generation, um, you know, it's really interesting, right? So the way that I think about it is today, 2019, we're living in a time unlike any in human history. And I know everybody says that. um, And if you actually look at the biology of how humans are wired, every single human that's ever lived has always thought that, you know, the time that we're in right now is sort of special. But the reason why I say that is because, you know, we are entering this sort of age where humans have separated themselves from the environment. We're living in sort of these um, climate controlled habitats. And I, I fundamentally believe that we are just so disconnected from our environment that, you know, it's causing a lot of problems. And I think that the previous generations, generally speaking, the parents that are raising these generations don't even know that either. And so I think they're trying to sort of apply these um, old methodologies to this new environment that we have today, and it's just simply not working. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the modern world has provided us with so much luxury to the point where you know, it's all like there's so much power, there's so much potential um, danger even that somebody can have from all of these modern um, comforts that if somebody does not have responsibility, if somebody um, is really not in line with the sort of, um, you know, focus and control that they have on a day-to-day basis, they can get lost. And they can get lost because I don't think the individual human has had more power at any time in human history than today. But, you know, with power comes responsibility, right? So, you know, when I started to dive into my journey, I got obsessed and still am to this day with, you know, food, nutrition, the different kinds of um, foods that somebody can consume on a daily basis. I know for me, I had a lot of health problems. I had a lot of autoimmune issues because I was eating a horrible diet. I was just loading myself up with junk food and sugar. And the more and more you dive into this research, the more you realize like there's a bunch of chemicals. There's a bunch of hydrogenated processed oils. They're in these foods that are actually causing a lot of the different health disorders, including mental health disorders that we have today. And so the more and more I dove into that, the more I started to realize like, oh, so like when you go to your cornerstone or like your, uh, your convenience store, that is basically the equivalent of like going to a Las Vegas casino and just like hitting the dice and putting all these different things in your food that I don't think a lot of people are educated on. And it sort of has like these disastrous effects because humans have separated ourselves from the environment. So I just think that we're living in this time where there's a lot of this new stuff that nobody really knows, um, you know, what's healthy, what's not healthy. How do we properly conduct ourselves when it comes to 
um, you know, social media. And then, you know, now you don't even have to leave your house. You can get food delivered to you just by clicking a few buttons on your phone. Right. And so I really don't think it's sort of like a younger generational problem. I just think it is a hum- like a humanity problem. And I think, you know, that's why we're sort of seeing this, um, you know, emergence of like podcasts, people like Seth Godin, like Tim Ferriss, just like come out and just say like, hey, you know, this is what I learned. I'm going to share it with the world. And if anybody else wants to take a peek as well, you are free to do that as well. So I just think we're in like this really interesting time where a lot of these factors are coming in. And, you know, I really want to sort of be like on the cutting edge of the stuff because I fell into a lot of the traps that I see other people falling into today. And I just want people to know that there's an alternative. There's another opportunity for you to live your um, best life for sure. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, I just want to uh, pull you up on, on one thing there and then I want to get into your podcast. Mm-hmm. But when you said you're lucky, I, I disagree with you. I think, you know, my mm-hmm. perspective on success is that uh, Beyonce didn't get lucky and and you didn't get lucky and Seth didn't get lucky. And there's ways that you can always be in forward motion that create opportunities for yourself. And this is one of the things that I, I consult on and, you know, we have some common friends that I, I've said this to as well. And, you know, you've always got to be moving forward and it's not just, you know, the, you know, Beyonce showing up and, and singing once, you know, every, uh, every Sunday at choir, it's like every day and posting videos on, on, uh, you know, on YouTube and, and whatever else it was. But, um, yeah, I, I really struggle with the idea of people being lucky and feeling like they mm. they have been chosen by some sort of uh, you know guiding hand within the universe, um, because I think you you put in the work and so don't sell yourself short on that. Mm. Uh, and I I know you weren't, but uh, yeah, don't sell yourself short there. And and as well, you know, you kind of stole my uh, my dinner party discussion where we are the first generation of abundance. And I think we mm. need to recognize that. And I think we need to view the world through that prism because, like you said, mm. our parents didn't get these opportunities that we have. And to flip that, mm. it's actually inherent on us to make the most of these opportunities, to make the most of these technologies mm-hmm. that their generation gave us. Uh, you know, I was raised by a single mom. You know, my, my sister and I, uh, my mom didn't finish high school both her parents were dead by the time she was 16, and this is in the 70s. So essentially raised herself and became you know, one of the top salespeople for Kraft Foods, one of the biggest food companies in the world. Mm. And so it's inherent on me to make the most of that opportunity that, or that platform that she gave me. And you know, I, I think, yeah, we can, we can kind of be down on all these things, but you, know, you do this really well. You, you know, in your videos, you, you flip things around and say, well, what's the positive and what's the opportunity that we've got here and and you know mm. my last point here is that what we're looking for now has actually existed before and we're looking for leaders that are willing to pick up a backpack and walk into the unknown and say I don't know what's mm. there but I want you guys to come with me and trust me those people used to be called the pioneers they would mm. you know from from uh, from the east to the west of the United States and literally all around the world people 
didn't know what was there, didn't know if they were going to fall off the edge of the earth if they just walked in that direction, but they did it anyway. And, and so we've seen this type of leadership before. And this is why I think people gravitate towards you is because, yes, your age and, and what you've overcome, but you're putting your hand up and saying, I'm willing to pick up a pack and I don't know what's out there, but I'm going to go that way. And if you're interested, come with me and I think we'll be in a better place. Mm. Dude, I love that so much, man. And um, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson has this great quote and it's, Shallow men believe in luck and circumstance. Strong men believe in cause and effect. And um, I, I couldn't agree more with you, man. And the more and more I think about this, the more and more I'm just sort of understanding what you said of, you know, if you live in a state of preparation, if you're hitting something a thousand times, one of them is bound to be successful. And that's really the sort of lens that I have been picking up on. And it's like, you know, once you understand that and you really do understand sort of the, you know, the fragility of life, of how anything can happen in any moment, a good or bad thing, that's why you've really got to live in this sort of state of preparation. That's really what I think success is. I don't think success is, um, you know, being happy for a day. I don't think it's making this certain amount of money. Um, everyone has their own sort of definition, but for me, it's sort of living in a state of preparation, living in kind of the, the human version 2.0 mode where, you know, you've done all that you can do that day in every single level, not just when it comes to your business, but when it comes to, you know, your mindset, your health, your, your spirituality, because when something, either an opportunity occurs you can actually take advantage of that. And, you know, these opportunities show up all of the time, but I think it just matters on the amount of preparation and work that you've put in. And at the same time, you know, if adversity or struggle hits you and you are still prepared, you know, body, mind, and soul, you know, that is going to enable you to, you know, sort of, fend off better. You know, you're not going to be in defense mode. You're going to be in offense mode and, you know, really be aligned with your purpose when those hard times do strike. So I I totally agree with you, man. 100%. Couldn't have said it better myself. Let's switch gears a little bit. You mentioned kind of that 2.0 mode and your podcast is called Humans 2.0. I'd love to hear Mm. your the kind of origin story around that, why you started it, what you were looking mm. to get out of it. <clears throat> you know, I've been very public about creating this podcast and how I wanted to you know, disrupt the format of podcasting in general and interview podcasts. But I'd love kind of your, you know, that, that initial ideation phase for you. What do I want to do with this and why am I doing it? And then, you know, to now where you're interviewing Seth Godin and Gary Vaynerchuk and, and, and all these different people. Yeah. So, you know, for me, so, you know, kind of to go back a little bit, um, you know, that whole period where I had, you know, hit that depression, that was, you know, towards the end of 2015, beginning of 2016. And um, toward, sort of towards like the end of 2016 is where I really started to um, uncover and become conscious of a lot of the things that I told you and kind of start setting my life up for success. And I had you know, started eating healthy, 
um, started meditation, started regularly exercising, sleeping, um, you know, kind of all those good habits. And I had also started a business at that time. And so the idea for the podcast sort of came in, you know, the middle of 2017, where, you know, I had been on this journey, I had been on this path. And, you know, for anybody else who's, who's on that path of sort of reinventing yourself for the first time, um, you know, it's very rewarding, but at times it's, it's very, very difficult. And I was sort of hitting, um, you know, resistance internally and externally. And, you know, I just realized that, you know, I needed some kind of help and just kind of like what sort of popped up in my mind is, you know, I want like what I learned about myself is the best way that I can learn anything is, of course, yes, by doing it. But before you can do it is to have a direct conversation with somebody in the world that's doing the thing that you want to do right now that, you know, has done it successfully, is the leader in their field and is walking the walk, not a not a theorist, not somebody that just talks or writes about it, but somebody that is actually doing it. And so I sort of had the understanding and I just figured out like, hey, um, how can I get one of these super successful people to talk to, you know, I had just turned 20 at the time. How can I get these super successful people to talk to a 20 year old that they don't even know? And so kind of just like my first thought was to start a podcast because if I can grow it, if I can build it to enough of a significant platform you know, at least I can leverage that and I can offer them something, you know, in terms of attention, in terms of my audience. So they're not just, you know, sort of just like wasting their time here on this call. And so that was sort of the philosophy behind it. And I like had this idea just like, you know, very abstractly rolling in my head for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, I remember I was on a run in the middle of the woods and I ended up stopping because I was out of breath or something. And, um, I just sort of thought of a name like humans 2.0, because it really resembled sort of my transformation of, you know, me going from somebody of a human 1.0 and really just taking massive responsibility and action in their life and day by day, transforming that into, uh, you know, human version 2.0, Mark Metry 2.0. And so that was kind of the thought behind it. And, um, you know, when I was doing the podcast, I didn't really take it um, seriously, right? So I started it towards the end of 2017, and I reached out to some people in my network, started to play around with it. I'd post an episode like, you know, once every two weeks, and then I post another episode like every other day. Like it was just all over the place. And you know, at the beginning of 2018, I got like sort of like this this feeling. I got kind of like this spidey sense that. I usually often get whenever I'm about to start something entrepreneurial, that's like, oh, this actually may or may not have a shot. And so that just sort of gave me the signal to triple down and to take it seriously and to kind of put in all the marbles. And so I started pursuing that. I started posting more regularly, upping my game, spending more time, uh, you know, dedicating more of my effort. And, you know, next thing you know, um, like in about August of 20 of 2018, you know, that's where I started to see some crazy results. You know, I started to get people on like Seth Godin, uh, Apple ranked my show in the global top 100 with like 
a bunch of other amazing podcasts that I listen to. That's where I started to get people reach out to me and be like, Hey, you know, you want to come, you know, speak at this conference or come speak at this company. And it just it sort of exploded and it just took on a life of its own. Um, and yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> and so just through that process of the whole thing exploding, the, the the second or third time around that this has kind of happened to you, you know, you, you had the first instance with the money and, and all that sort of stuff. So mm. did you think, did you feel you were more prepared this time around given the experiences that you've had in the past? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, you know, like the reason why, um, you know, when we were talking about the Minecraft server, I said, I got lucky is, you know, I just wasn't conscious, but you know, this mm-hmm. time around, I had really, really, really been pursuing it. I, like, I, 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 like my main goal was to have a podcast at the scale, if not bigger. And I had, um, you know, kind of already, uh, you know, understood a lot of these, these concepts, um, and, and really started to ingrain them in my life. And, you know, when I'm talking to, you know, really successful people, you know, eventually you just sort of like adopt like their unstoppable mindset. And so, you know, when this happened to me, I was 100% fully prepared, been working on it in every single moment of every single life from, you know, that, that season that I had in uh, 2016. So I like, like, this is a completely different thing. This is something that I was, um, you know, actually really, really expecting for sure. What has interested you since that, has happened. So since the show's kind of blown up in terms of the response from the mm-hmm. market, you know, I, I ask this often of authors when, you know, they release their book, it kind of becomes the audience's book and not their book anymore. Mm. What, what has that process looked like for you? And, you know, whether it's people reaching out to you or yeah, like what has kind of surprised you about how it's all unfolded, if anything? Mm. Yeah, man, that's a great question. So, um, you know, I'll tell you like, you know, for the first, I want to say maybe six months, nobody really listened to my podcast. And I had always sort of understood that because I had been doing this stuff all my life. And I realized that, you know, when you first start something, you're not really going to get a lot of feedback. And for a lot of people, that's why they end up quitting. But for me, the real thing that really surprised me was, you know, as I started to put more and more of my story out there, you know, I started to get people around the world that, you know, would reach out to me and, you know, they would reach out to me. And at the beginning I could take calls with people because I didn't get too many of those requests. And, you know, I'd hop on this call and they tell me something like, you know, I'm going through this in life and I'm trying to do this. And, you know, I would just sort of, you know, listen to them and try to understand to the best of my ability. And, and then I would just tell them like what I did when I was in that situation and they would listen. And then, you know, three months later, they would send me an email or we hop on another call and they tell me like, like, dude, I did the things that you told me to do. And like it completely changed my life. Like my, my relationship with my mom is so much better. I'm, I'm barely stressed or anxious anymore. And the more and more that that started to happen and the more and more like I started going to events and people started to come up to me, the more I just like truly understood what I was actually doing. And I maybe got this like in August when it was sort of popping off, 
maybe a little bit before that in July, where I was like, oh, this thing that I'm doing actually has nothing to do with me. This is actually more resembling of sort of a bigger human grassroots movement that's occurring. And I just sort of happen to be the initiator of that and, you know, the executor. And so the more and more that started to happen, like the more that enabled me to sort of expand my worldview and, and my purpose of, you know, what I'm really doing to the point where, you know, I'm at that point where I want every, um, I want every single, you know, 15 year old out there to know who I am. Um, not for, you know, egoic reasons or I want to be famous or anything like that. But I want, you know, when I look back at my life, you know, I, I want the, the 14, 15 year old version of, of myself, Mark, to actually see my story, not as necessarily a role model, but a sort of a mental model to look at and say, oh, you know, we have this definition of success or we've seen all these other stories, but I want people to look at mine because, you know, for me and my story, like, I, like there isn't anything too drastic in there. It's not like I died or I went in a coma or my mom or anything like that. It's just like, I'm a totally normal kid that, you know, kind of like fell down a series of traps and rabbit holes. And I just see a lot of people doing that today. So, you know, for me, the main thing that sort of surprised me was kind of like this, because at first when I started it, um, it was for, you know, very selfish reasons um, in a good way. Actually, it was sort of like, hey, how can I learn the most? And I think I needed to do that. But now the more and more response I'm getting, the more and more I'm just realizing that, you know, the world is so thirsty for this. And this world is just made up of individuals. Um, it's not made up of groups. Within every single group, there's just individuals within it. And it's like when you can relate to the human denominator that every single individual can relate to, you can have some massive breakthroughs and real abilities to connect. And that's what I'm really trying to do. I, you know, I go around to schools. I have a podcast that's listened to by over millions of people. And I'm just really, really, really trying to push this um, you know, message home, because I think that today in this time of 2019, the world is really hungry for this, like we talked about. And I'm not trying to be a player because, you know, I don't want people to look at me as some kind of successful podcast host. I just want people to look at me as just an ordinary human being that's just doing this thing. And, you know, if it relates to you, if you can learn from it, that's fantastic. And if you did learn from it, the best way that you can pay that forward and the best way that you can thank me is to actually get out there in your life and do something that impacts other people. You know, I, fun I fundamentally believe that the way that we're going to change this world is not through, um, you know, us telling a group of people what to do or protesting or signing petitions. I think that the way that we're going to change the world is by each individual realizing that the only thing that they can control is themselves. And if they start to utilize that power and that responsibility, and they improve themselves in every single aspect, and the people they love the most around them take notice and eventually are inspired enough to do that same thing, and then those people that they go to work with end up seeing the same thing, I believe that's sort of how we change the world through that sort of butterfly effect. 
and it's happening, right? And, and like, we're just living in this time in 2019 where we've got this exponential technology that enables impact to happen at scale, unlike any other time in human history, right? Like, just thinking about it, you know, you would only get your information from, you know, the, the town square, a newspaper, um, you know, maybe the government news. But now anybody can emit a message basically through the air, through like wireless crazy signals that, you know, Wi-Fi that most people don't understand. I don't know how it works. That enables us to, you know, put somebody else's voice in somebody else's ear around the world. And for me, like that just freaks me out every single time I think about it. And it's just like more and more of an opportunity to continue to triple down on it because it's not actually about me. That's probably the biggest sort of surprising takeaway I've gotten from this. Yeah. Like we said earlier, you know, it is inherent on us to make the most of this because, you know, we owe it to the, the pride generations that allow us to stand on their shoulders. Mm. And, and yeah, I, I've had much the same experience. You know, I, I released my book in December, 2017. It's a book about people. Ultimately it's, it's wrapped up in teams and how teams work. You know, I straddle sport and business and the, the leadership principles, but ultimately we're talking about is the root cause and the root cause of all that is people at an individual level. Mm. And we now have an opportunity to individualize journeys for people that we haven't had before. And whether that's just additional time that we can spend with them, learning about them, whether it's technology that we can add over the top of them to learn about them and, and you know, be able to customize their work journey or their health journey or their uh, their DNA journey. It doesn't really matter. We're, we're going to have more and more of those opportunities going forward. But yeah, same as you, between the book and the podcast, really scary putting these ideas out there into the world that are a little bit different and, and do push the boundaries and, and are going to disrupt a field that has existed for quite some time. But there's no better drug in the world than having someone send you a, a, a DM on Twitter being like, hey, man, I read this yeah. passage in your book and I went to my team and I, I implemented it. Or, you know, I've heard stories of just the quotes that I have at the start of every chapter have ended up in a boardroom somewhere in, you know, the middle of Australia. And <laughs> that is what keeps you going as, as an artist is, holy shit, I can mm. impact people and, and that's what it, it's all about. And, you know, I agree with you. My, you know, my journey was, was a little bit egotistical at the start as well. I, I wanted my ideas to be uh, held up a little bit more than they were. So, you know, I write a book and, mm. but yeah, it, it's, it's the response and the, the impact that you have on other people that is the fuel to keep going and be like, oh my God, I can, I can touch people all around the world now. And again, it, it's inherent on me to make the most of that because, you know, if I was an author in Australia or a podcaster in Australia in a, in a prior generation, it wouldn't leave the boundaries of Australia. Whereas now, you know, you can sit in Siberia and listen to you and me talk, you know, one in Toronto, one in Boston. And, and that's a special opportunity for us all. Tell us about your, your company, VU Dream. We'll, we'll finish on that, uh, but I want to give you an opportunity to, to plug the business because, again, it, it's kind of pushing some boundaries. Uh, so tell us what you do on a day-to-day basis with the business at the moment. Yeah, I mean, honestly, man, I'd rather not I'd rather not plug the business and I'd rather just tell you the sort of motive for starting that because I think it's much more important. So, you know, kind of the time where I was 
you know, making this sort of revolution in my life. One of the things that really sort of plunged me and urged me to do that was, you know, I realized, you know, I was taking a look at my belief system. And I realized one of the beliefs that sort of ended up screwing me over was I had this belief that the future is not going to be better than what has already happened. And, you know, when a human being lives in that kind of mode, they become hopeless, right? And you need hope as a human being. And so the way that I got out of that is I just started doing research on something that I had always sort of loved, which was technology. And I started doing research on all the different fields of emerging exponential technology. So things like uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain, drones, uh, the internet of things, virtual reality, augmented reality, um, you know, self-driving cars, all those different kinds of things that are going to fundamentally change our lives, like biomed, nanobots, these things that are going to create the next wave of humanity, uh, of prosperity, in my opinion, in the 2020s and so on. And so as I started to do this research, I was like, I need to get in one of these industries. I need to get in one of these fields because I want to be somebody that can kind of be on the fringe, can be on the forefront of this stuff. And I literally remember there was like this one night where I literally just locked myself in my room and I pulled out this notebook of all these different kinds of emerging industries and like the pros and cons of getting into each one and, you know, when each industry was going to sort of pop and how much time I had to work in that. And I started to do all this research and, you know, I find that the one that really spoke to me was virtual reality and mixed reality. And, you know, my understanding of that time was sort of like, oh yeah, virtual reality is like this, like this fad or this gimmick or, you know, it's only good for like video games or people making fun of themselves or, you know, people just like spending their entire lives at home and just kind of like on this VR headset for the rest of their lives. But, you know, the more and more research I looked into it, the more I realized that, you know, VR and mixed reality is a solution to a lot of the problems that we have today that don't necessarily have great solutions. So, you know, as I started to look into this, I saw that the um, some psychiatric uh, organizations in the U.S. military were actually using virtual reality to um, treat soldiers and veterans that have PTSD. And, you know, if you just take that one use case, for example, um, you know, one of the ways that people treat PTSD, especially here in the States, is opiates. And right now in the United States, we have an opiate epidemic. People are dying. They are being addicted due to previous injuries and traumas, and they can't get off of it. And it's not really their their own fault, in my opinion. And so if we can take an exponential technology like virtual reality and use that as a solution versus opiates, I think the world would be a much better place. Then you take another example of kind of like the business enterprise example of, you know, one of the biggest employers in America is Walmart. And Walmart actually right now in a lot of their stores around the country, they actually have virtual reality training centers in the back of stores. And it's basically where they'll have their employees, you know, hop into these VR sets, headsets that also work with artificial intelligence to, you know, 
simulate various environments and scenarios and what they would do. And the reason why that's helpful is it's actually way cheaper to train people that way. People can learn much, much faster by doing in a virtual immersive environment than just sort of like sitting down in a classroom. And it's not only cheaper, but it's actually much more, uh, it, it's better because the information is, um, it's much more updated. You don't have to teach somebody, they don't have to go to school for four years and then teach because by then the information is outdated. And so, you know, if you look at VR from that sort of enterprise perspective, it's massive. And then you take a look at another um, use case of um, it's sort of half virtual reality, half mixed reality of, you know, there's many companies doing this, but one company I know called eSight, they have effectively cured blindness with a virtual reality headset. Basically, the way that it works is it captures the environment on the outside, and then it takes that, codes it up, and directly emits it in a blind person's um, retina, and they are able to see. And so with this case of virtual reality, and there's so many other use cases that are literally changing people's lives that a lot of people don't know about, this is just fundamentally changing the way that we're tackling problems and solutions around the world. Another great one is, um, you know, everyone talks about empathy, right? Everyone talks about you know, how can we make people more empathetic? Because when, more, when people are more empathetic, they are more understanding. And when they're more understanding, they're more willing to help or take action to help that individual that is just like them. And it's like this, many charities, many nonprofits have already kind of used this as a case study. But if you take somebody and you put them in virtual reality and you put them in this sort of environment where um, you know, they are in the war-torn streets of Syria where they walk around and there's buildings being blown up and there's little kids on the streets. The person that, you know, like the, the woman or whoever it is that's living in America may not have even known that that exists. And if they saw it on a TV, maybe they would just dismiss it. But when you can put somebody in that immersive enough of an environment, and have them like really look around and be like, oh my God, it invokes this sort of emotional response unlike no other. And as this technology goes on, this stuff is going to get way better. And eventually it's going to get to that point where it's going to become indistinguishable from life. You're not going to be able to tell the difference. You know, obviously, I'm sure a lot of you listen to this, I'm sure you can think of a lot of, you know, bad use cases as well that somebody could abuse this kind of technology. But I think, and the reason why I got in this industry is just because, you know, it, you know, it's great to, you know, hypothesize and wonder how everything can go wrong. But the only way that we're going to actually create a future that we want to live in is if, you know, we start having healthy, productive conversations with each other where some of us may agree, some of us may disagree, and that's really important that we have that conversation. And then start working at it towards the lens of optimism and also realism. And like, I don't know, have you ever heard of that show Black Mirror? Oh, yeah. I watched one episode and then had to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I love the show. It's fantastic. And it's like, you know, imagine if we could create a white mirror instead of a black mirror. And it's like the matter of the fact is, you know, the world is an ugly and desolate place. 
if that's what you choose to focus on. But if you decide to look at the positive and create solutions and, you know, uh, movements of positivity and optimism, you're going to end up creating, you know, the most wonderful miracles that you could possibly imagine. And so I'm really, really involved and I'm, you know, hell bent on making this industry go towards the right direction, which it is, um, and really use all these cases because this is really just the beginning. This hasn't even started yet. And I fundamentally believe that, you know, when we do live in a mixed reality, virtual reality world, that, that might seem a little bit, you know, off-putting to a lot of people listening. I fundamentally, I fundamentally believe it's going to help us create solutions of a lot of the problems that we face today. And I think it's really going to integrate humanity with each other in this sort of conscious, connective communication web. And I think it's up to us today to, you know, where that technology goes and how we're going to use it. And so when I sort of learned that about virtual reality and mixed reality, I immediately got involved. I started a business called View Dream that, you know, originally started off as something else. But, you know, today we are a uh, marketing agency for a lot of these virtual and mixed reality companies, helping them to articulate, you know, new future realities that don't even exist. And, you know, I'm very, very, um, you know, honored to say that's where um, I'm working on the future because I just fundamentally believe that it's going to help us in so many different areas from education to healthcare to training to increasing efficiency, productivity. Um, you know, imagine if you could, um, you know, imagine if you haven't spoken to your family that lives in a different country for 10 years and you can hop in the virtual reality headset and so can they. And you can have, you know, lunch on top of the Eiffel Tower. And it's just like, I think when we start living in that world, I think it's going to completely define who we are as humans and the very nature of our existence. And that fascinates me in so many different degrees. And so I'm, you know, very, very, very much, um, you know, very passionate about this sort of industry and the way that technology is heading for sure. Yeah, you're one of those pioneers, my friend. And you know, this is this is why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because you know I'm halfway through writing a, a second book which is about uh, intention and and being intentional and being deliberate about what we're doing and and you know a lot of that comes back to that optimism and belief and hap- and, and an unwavering sense of that and, and like you said you know ultimately something that's really changed my life has been the acknowledgement that I get to choose every day how I react to situations. And uh, I think that's a message that is, is very important. And, you know, just thinking through a, an example from last week, 10 inches of snow in Toronto and, you know, my balcony, you know, I could put a ruler in it and basically have the ruler disappear. And you can either choose to kind of be on the negative side of that and be like, oh, shit, it's cold and snowy and, you know, I can't go outside. Or you can choose to see the positive and as an Australian, be like, holy shit, I hadn't seen snow until I was 25 years old. And now my balcony is, is full of snow and how cool that is. And, you know, that's, that's that idea of being very intentional to choose the positive and, and the optimistic side of that story. And then you, you start to unpack a lot more of the decisions that you make in your life and things that are happening to you and, and, and the idea of, 
a lot of people go through life feeling like things are happening to them. And it's a small switch like that that can change their whole perspective and, and lead them on you know, like a similar journey to you. Uh, I choose to mm. see the opportunity in this circumstance rather than I, I choose to feel like this is being done to me by some sort of higher power and I can't control it. Because uh, we can control this stuff and we can control the, the technology that's coming and we can put mm. boundaries around it so that it's, it's not intimidating like it is right now. But yeah, mm. we as, as the human element of that, we need to choose to do that. Um, and yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Like I want to follow people like you into the future rather than, you know, some of the leaders that we have right now. And, and that comes from a very authentic place. And I've written about, you know, one of the key chapters in my book was called the fraudulence of experience. And it was about this mm. idea of tenure being why we promote people into leadership. And, mm. uh, yeah, I, I would rather follow someone like yourself, uh, who chooses to see the optimistic side rather than, you know, the stuff that we see in the news where it's just negative upon negative upon negative and you, you end up down a spiral. Um, where can people find you, man? We've talked about a lot of things. How can people follow along? Because, you know, I love your, your videos. I love what you're doing with work and your podcast. So you've got a lot going on. Where's the easiest place for people to get a hold of you and your work? Yeah, so easiest is just Google my name, Mark Metry, M-A-R-K-M-E-T-R-Y. Um, if you're interested in directly getting a response from me, I would either say DM me on Instagram or shoot me an email at mark at V-U-D-R-E-A-M dot com. And um, yeah, dude, this is a fantastic podcast. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you. And my business partner lives in Boston. So when I'm down, nice. I want to go for a run in the woods with you. Hell yeah, man. Just hit me up anytime. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. At this stage of the show, most podcasts will ask you to go and leave a five-star rating. But if you're going to go somewhere, I'd rather you go and check out Athletic Greens. If you follow me on social media, you'll see me doing two things, exercising and traveling. At my last checkup, my doctor told me I had the lowest cholesterol she'd ever seen, but I was crucially low in a whole range of vitamins and minerals that I'd never heard of. And as a result, my hair was in terrible shape. I went looking for the best all-in-one solution I could find, and I landed on Athletic Greens. I found it an easy habit to get on board with. A simple routine of one scoop in some cold water every morning before I have breakfast, and I have all my bases covered. And now, my hair is back to normal. And if you still don't believe me, I'm an Australian promoting a product created by a New Zealander, so you know I'm not joking around. I can't stress this enough. Jump over to athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody and claim your special offer today. Five free travel packs with your first purchase. athleticgreens.com forward slash Cody. The Where Others Won't podcast is recorded at Apollo Studios in downtown Toronto and is produced and edited by Adam Esker. You can book me to speak by the Where Others Won't book or send me an email at codyroyal.com. 